From the Schmoes No Network Studios in Los Angeles, California, it's time for Profiles with your hosts, Alicia Malone and Scott Mance. Hello, Schmoville! We're back for our second week of Profiles. We hope you enjoyed our very first show, a tribute to Steven Spielberg, mm. a filmmaker we just love so much. Judging by your reactions, we know you did love it. We're so happy to be back. Yes, thanks for all your comments. Thanks for rating and reviewing on iTunes and subscribing to the podcast. It was very exciting to see profiles up in the number 10 spot, like in the top 10 of the TV and film podcasts on iTunes. Thank you so much Thank for that. Thank you so much. Now, if you watched last week's show, you'll know that we teased this week we were going to have a spotlight on Stanley Kubrick, mm -hmm. another one of our favorite filmmakers of all time. And well, what happened? Well, actually, we were here filming our first profiles on Steven Spielberg. And after the show, Mark Ellis, who produces this show, he's one half of the Schmoes No team. And he told us the sad news that Robin Williams had passed away. We both couldn't believe it. We were hoping it was a hoax, but no, it was true. So pretty quickly after that, we turned to each other and we said, maybe this week we should dedicate profiles to the great Robin Williams. But at that moment, we also thought, because we were still in shock, and then the shock just was replaced by just, we were just so torn up about it. What is the right tone for us to do this special, special tribute to Robin Williams, and then inspiration hit? Yeah, well, it came from a statement that his wife, Susan Schneider, put out, which says, as he is remembered, it is our hope the focus will not be on Robin's death, but on the countless moments of joy and laughter he gave to millions. So that's what we thought we would celebrate his work today. We are going to celebrate the work of this Oscar-winning genius who's given so much joy and laughter and such a rich career. We are going to have a fun celebration because I have a feeling, based on just how generous he was to so many people, mm -hmm. that maybe that's he, what he would have wanted. Yeah, we've got a special guest who's going to be phoning in, someone who worked very closely with Robin Williams. Super excited about that, but let's kick things off with the segment we call It's, it's a, a Wonderful, wonderful life. life. Once again, voiced by the pit boss, Ken Knapsack. Go, Roll Ken, it, go. Robin McLaren Williams was born on July 21st, 1951 in Chicago, Illinois. His mother, Laurie McLaren, was a former model and his father, Robert Fitzgerald Williams, was an executive at the Ford Motor Company. For a short time, Robin studied political science before attending Juilliard to study theater. But it was after leaving Juilliard and performing stand-up comedy where he became a legend in that business that he got his first big national break being cast as Mork for Mork in an episode of Happy Days, which led to his own TV series, Mork and Mindy. But the biggest breaks were yet to come. After making the successful transition from TV to film, Robin was nominated for three Best Actor Academy Awards and won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar for 1997's Good Will Hunting. Williams also won two Emmys, four Golden Globes, two SAG Awards, and five Grammys. Williams is survived by three children and his wife, Susan Schneider. Thank you, Pip Boss. And we should point out that we are wearing very special t-shirts, Mork from Ork t-shirts. Mork from Ork. That is the, actually the first time I ever saw Robin Williams, which leads us to our first segment, which we like to call all of our segments, <laughs> sort of name them after famous movies or uh -huh. at least movies that we like. Mm -hmm. So our first segment is called First Blood. Mm -hmm. And what is this segment, Alicia? Well, the first time I saw Robin Williams in film, I think it was in Aladdin. I was about 11 or 12. I didn't get to see it in cinemas, but I went with my cinemas. sisters down to the video store <laughs> and I love Disney movies. And I remember looking at the cover for Aladdin and just going, wow, it's so colorful. It looks so amazing. Of course, when I watched the film, I fell in love with the genie because what an incredible character, so much energy in that character. And from there, I discovered Robin Williams. And then I saw, of course, Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji and Flubber. And I'd say that Robin really had such a magic over me in my childhood because he always seemed to have that sense of fun. Oh, and yeah. then, of course, when I grew older, that's when I saw his more dramatic roles. What was your first time? Well, speaking of a dramatic role, as I mentioned, I did see Mork and Mindy. It was a show that I watched all the time between 1978 and 1982. But the first time I saw a movie with Robin Williams was in 1982. It was The World According to Garp. Mm. So you're talking about a career where he balanced 
comedy and drama. And here's a really early film where he did just that. Of course, his best work later on, as we'll discover in the next hour, is is our films where he balanced drama and comedy. But The World According to Garth, based on the novel by John Irving, this was a movie I remember being sort of quirky, sort of offbeat. I remember Glenn Close playing his mother, and uh, John Lithgow playing a sports hero who was a transsexual. And the movie had a very deep, dark, and sort of uh, ending, which I didn't see coming. But it was such an early role, and it made such an impact on me because, like his best films, it balanced drama and comedy. Now, Jete, I know you're a big fan of all sorts of movies. Do you remember what your first Robin Williams movie was? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, Aladdin's <laughs> probably the safe answer. But I think at that point, I was so young, I didn't know who was the voice behind that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, the one movie that really always comes to mind, which not a lot of people brought up, was Toys. Oh, yeah. Toys, yeah. yeah it's directed by Barry Levinson. Yeah, it used to be on HBO all the time. And the movie was just so out there. And it was about video games. And it was just so quirky. That's like the one that really comes to mind when I think my childhood. Yeah, it came out just after Aladdin. More on that in a moment. But first, let's go to our Fast Five, five. which is our five favorite Robin Williams movies. Starting at number five, which is Play It Should Take. Mrs. Doubtfire, of, of course. course. It had to be Mrs. Doubtfire. This movie opened on November 24th, 1993. This was a huge, huge hit. Again, another film that balanced drama and comedy. It's directed by Chris Columbus. Robin Williams plays Daniel Hillard, a.k.a. Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. This was a movie that just was doing my research for this special I hadn't seen Mrs. Doubtfire in a really long time and I forgot how serious this movie actually is yeah I rewatched it again too and of course I remembered the great comedic moments in the film all the impressions and I loved Mrs. Doubtfire but something I forgot about was how unique this movie was for a Hollywood family film because spoiler alert the family doesn't get back together right and it's okay it shows a different kind of family and i think it has a really great message for kids of divorced parents that just because your parents don't love each other anymore doesn't mean they don't love you and the brilliance of robin williams in this film is that you believe him as both the father on the verge of personal crisis and as a Scottish nanny. <laughs> well, he's, it's two performances. It's like Clark Kent and Superman. You're forgetting that you're actually watching two performances, and he played both of them really great. Of course, when he is Mrs. Doubtfire, the comedy ensues. Who can forget <laughs> that scene in the kitchen when he's trying to cook and his breasts catch oh, fire? Yes. Such a great moment of slapstick. And then the end of the film, really, really great. It's sort of like a Three's Company kind of situation yeah. where he's dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. He's out with his family, and he's also trying to take a meeting with his potential employer. So he keeps going to the bathroom to change, but he keeps drinking wine. And then he gets confused. He gets very confused. Yeah. And then he's sitting with his family. His teeth fall out into his water. Pierce Brosnan is totally grossed out. Uh-huh. And then he goes back to the potential employer as Mrs. Doubtfire. And he's like, you're dressed as a woman. It's and he goes, so funny. Yeah. Yeah. But this movie won how many Oscars? It won an Oscar for Best Makeup. Well deserved. Very well deserved. <laughs> it was also the second highest grossing film of 1993 behind Jurassic Park. Well, if you're going to be number two, you may as well follow the <laughs> T-Rex Spielberg, yeah. and Spielberg. <laughs> yeah. Well, Schmoville also loved Mrs. Doubtfire. We asked for your comments and Brianne Crowley Chandler says, Mrs. Doubtfire stuck in my mind because when I saw it in theaters as a kid with my parents, it was the first time I picked up on an adult joke. The part <laughs> where she rips the hood ornament off the car and says the expensive vehicle is trying to compensate for other things. But she still asked her parents about it later. Their response, you'll understand it when you're older and watch the movie again. And they were, they were right. right. Wow. That is a great comment. Thank you so much, Brianne. And you know how much, how long it took Robin Williams to get made up as Mrs. Doubtfire? How long? Four and a half hours a day. Wow. And I'll bet he had the makeup artist laughing the entire time. Yeah, God, that restaurant scene wouldn't have been feasible in real life. No way. No way. <laughs> but that brings us to a segment we like to call... The Right the Stuff. The Right Stuff. And this is our favorite scene from a Robin Williams movie. And Alicia's going to start off with her favorite scene from a Robin Williams film. Well, this was hard to pick because obviously Robin Williams has given us so many great moments on film. But one that I love 
is because I love the pairing of Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. I'm talking about the birdcage. Birdcage, yep. And particularly the scene when Albert is trying to teach the very flamboyant Armand how to be a man. And they're sitting in the restaurant and Robin's character is saying, men schmear their toast, they schmear and screwing up his nose. And it's just so funny to see Nathan Lane's character then shriek and then Robin's character explain, it's okay if you pierce the toast, there will be more toast. <laughs> Do you know, during that scene, director Mike Nichols had to hide under a blanket because he was laughing so much and he worried that the sound would carry to the set. And he also said he had to tell them, first just do one take sticking to the script, then you can go off. And, of course, they did. They were both brilliant improvisers together. Well, I'm telling you, I bet a lot of directors working with Robin Williams over the years had to hide under something to keep from laughing and ruining their takes. But there are a lot of interesting facts and factoids about Robin Williams that Mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't know, which brings us to our trivia. Yes, tell me. What do you got for me, Alicia Malone? Okay, well, did you know that in 1996, Two of Robin's movies hit the $100 million mark within the same week. Which ones were they? Jumanji and The Birdcage. Wow. That must have been a great week. I'm sure the wine was falling for that one. (laughs) And just coming off Mrs. Doubtfire, do you realize that, you know, when you see a movie and you see a character play played by Robin Williams, and you cannot imagine anyone else playing that character, Mm -hmm. that is the type of character that just is for the books, because you just cannot imagine anyone else playing. Robin Williams did that with a lot of his characters, but he was not the first choice to play Mrs. Doubtfire. It was actually Tim Allen. Wow. Would have been a completely different film. Yes, No, No no dissing to Tim Allen at all, but I think we lucked out with Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, well, speaking of characters you can't imagine played by anyone else and probably couldn't be played by anyone else, the genie is one from Aladdin. Did you know the Academy actually rejected the bid to have Aladdin in the screenplay category because Robin Williams ad-libbed so much of his role himself. Apparently he did 16 hours worth of material and over 70 different impressions. And I'll bet those 16 hours are all comic gold. (laughs) I would listen to that right now. I would. 16 hours. You might just like drive to work back and forth just listening to Robin Williams go off the hook. But did you know Robin Williams in the early 1990s wanted to do a guest starring role in one of my favorite television shows of all time. Star Trek. Oh, boy, you know me so well, <laughs> It's going to be Star Trek or The Beatles when you're talking to Scott Mann. Yes, well, well, you know what? Well, hey, When I'm 64 was the opening theme to The World According to Garp. You, you had go. to bring up The Beatles. But Robin Williams did want to have a guest starring role on Star Trek The Next Generation in the early 1990s. Scheduling conflicts made that too hard to happen, but he was inspired to do so because his good friend Whoopi Goldberg ah. had a recurring role as Guinan on Star Trek The Next Generation. Right, there, there you go. go. I did not know that. <laughs> well, let's keep going with our Fast Five. At number four, Jete, it is... 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that is from Aladdin. Aladdin, 1992. Yeah. Yes, came out November 25th, 1992. Boy, talk about one of the greatest voiceovers in animated movie history. Mm. You know, you talk about how the uh, screenplay was not eligible for the Oscars because he ad-libbed most of his lines. Also not eligible was Robin Williams' performance for Best Supporting Actor. I remember when this movie came out at the time, uh, so many people in Hollywood lobbied for Robin Williams to get nominated for Aladdin. But because it was an animated film, the rules just would not allow it. And that is too bad. Yeah, that is too bad. And he was actually actually one of the first big celebrities to lend their voice to an animation and now of course we see that all the time oh yeah also aladdin was the first animated movie to make over 200 million dollars but at first robin didn't actually want to do the role until the animators showed him some test footage some crude animation coupled with his stand-up comedy and they showed how the two could work together but then also robin said when he signed on to the role he had a couple of stipulations because toys which jate mentioned earlier was coming out just a month later he didn't want to take away from that promotion so he said he would do the role for SAG scale that was just $75,000 crazy which seems like nothing <laughs> and he said as long as his images and his uh, his name were not used in the advertising for Aladdin and that the genie didn't take up more than I think it was like 
75% of the poster. Now, of course, Disney, once they once they realized just how great he was and what a selling point the genie was going to be for the movie, they reneged on both deals. So actually, Robin and Disney had a massive falling out, oh. which didn't... didn't um, didn't fix till a couple of years later when Joe Roth, who worked at Fox, right. then he came on board Disney and he offered a public apology to Robin Williams on behalf of Disney and then all was well again. Apology accepted. <laughs> Another thing about Aladdin, it's just worth noting, when I saw this movie when it came out, for the first part of the film, I thought this is a really good Disney animated musical. And then the moment the genie was released from the lamp, it became a great Disney animated musical, a perfect example of a good movie that was made great because of Robin Williams' comedic genius. Yeah, and speaking about not being able to imagine anyone else doing the role, apparently other actors who were offered the role include John Candy, Steve Martin, Eddie Murphy, Martin Short, John Goodman, and Albert Brooks. They're all great comedic actors, but you just cannot picture anyone else. No way. Wait, Albert Brooks, really? Yeah. No way. Yeah. That would have been a very whiny genie. A very different genie. Very, very completely different movie. Well, our friends in Schmoville had this to say about Aladdin. Tyler Moore says, Aladdin is one of my favorite animated movies. A large part of that is due to Robin Williams as the genie. If the genie, hello, was not played by Robin Williams in the movie, it would not have been nearly as good. Exactly. We, we agree. We all agree on that. But of course, you can't have a great star without a great co-star. Right. So this week we're doing a segment called The, the Player, Player. <laughs> which talks about some of our favorite co-stars to Robin Williams. And we've got three that we've singled out. Well, I have to say, the last week I've been just doing my research for Robin Williams, seeing movies I haven't seen since they came out, including 1991's The Fisher King, mm. directed by Terry Gilliam, co-starring one of his best co-stars, Jeff Bridges. And man, oh man, Jeff Bridges is fantastic in this movie. He plays this shock jock named Jack Lucas who goes on the radio, inspires one of his listeners to go on a shooting spree that results in the death of Robin Williams' wife, sends him into a tailspin. Three years later, Jeff Bridges takes it upon himself to help Robin Williams. They develop this bond, this friendship, that even though there are a lot of comedic moments, this is actually a very serious movie with very intimate, moving, poignant scenes, mm. especially when they're like lying on the grass together in the park looking up at the stars. Yes. And it's just a beautiful film. And worth noting that Mercedes Rule won Best Supporting Actress ah. for this movie. She played Jeff Bridges' uh, girlfriend in the film. And they were both nominated, Jeff and Robin, for Golden Globes. Yep. And just a few days ago, Jeff Bridges was in New York in Central Park for an event for The Giver. He said he thought he saw Robin Williams in the distance, but it was actually Radio Man, oh, who's a pretty yeah. famous homeless guy who Robin Williams actually befriended during the making of The Fisher King because he was always hanging around. And then that made Jeff think about the great times they had while shooting. Uh, and he remembered running around naked at like four in the morning at Central Park. And he said his energy was such a gift to all of us. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Well, let's talk about a movie that you just brought up before when you're talking about uh, uh, an earlier film, The Birdcage. Yes. Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane. Wow, he is so good in this film. It's interesting to note that Robin Williams was originally going to, going to play the part played by Nathan Lane. Yeah. But he, talk about generosity. He knew enough and was generous enough to take a step back, take the supporting role, mm -hmm. and let Nathan Lane really out of his cage in a way because this was a very big breakthrough performance for Nathan Lane. He was just primarily known as a as a stage actor, mm -hmm. Broadway actor, and this was the movie that really put him on the map, and he's fantastic. He is so great. As I said, I love how hysterical his character gets about everything. And even before Robin Williams decided to play the role of Albert, it was originally going to be, uh, so it was going to be Robin Williams as Armand and Steve Martin as Albert, which would have been a great matchup, but I love Nathan Lane and Robin Williams together and Robin says said of meeting Nathan Lane that it was love at first laugh. Oh, hilarious. I love that. And let's talk about another another co-star for Robin Williams. This is definitely one of his best, probably one of your best too, <laughs> Matt 
Damon from Good Will Hunting. How do you like them apples, Alicia Oh, uh, I love them apples. <laughs> I didn't understand that quote for a long time. <laughs> the scenes between Matt's character and Robin Williams's character in this film are the most powerful because you have this guy, this kid, who thought he was smarter than everyone else and he finally met his match in yep. a very, very quiet therapist. And I love how reserved Robin Williams plays this character. The character of Sean the Therapist was apparently uh, based on Matt Damon's mum and Ben Affleck's dad and when Robin Williams first read the script he said this is extraordinary well we're gonna have a lot more to say about Goodwill Hunting so just stick around for that but right now we just want to take a break and to say if you are watching us on YouTube please make sure you go to iTunes and rate us and review us yes, because please. that is how Profiles with Malona Mance will survive. We have so many great filmmaker, filmmakers we want to bring you. Yeah, great actors. We even thought about doing composers, maybe cinematographers. We're going to get all nerdy on you. We are going to put the film geek on. A lot of people suggested that we do <laughs> filmmakers like Stanley Kubrick, which we're doing next week, yes. Martin Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino, David Fincher, Christopher Nolan. The only way we can do that is if you rate us on iTunes. So please, 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 do that. Yeah, well, just before we get to our special guest, let's do a bit of a, a quiz, shall we? Uh, hey, Jate, you got some music for us uh, to this quiz show? Jeopardy. Ooh, makes me nervous. Oh. <laughs> do you want to go first? I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, we are going to do this multiple choice because that is how you do a quiz show. It's nice. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for this, Alicia Malone? Yes. Okay. Now, which of the following movies starring Robin Williams was not not nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Okay. The question is, again, which, which of the following, not which one was not nominated for Best Picture Best at the Academy Picture. Awards? Is it A, Dead Poet Society? Mm -hmm. Is it B, Awakenings? Mm -hmm. Is it C, Good Morning Vietnam? Mm -hmm. Or is it D, Good Will Hunting? Okay. I am going <laughs> to guess here. Go, go for it. I'm going between two of them. Uh, Awakenings? Uh, it is Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, what? Isn't that crazy? Good Morning that is Vietnam crazy. is a movie that we love, as you're going to see soon, and it was not nominated for Best Picture. What the hell is that all about? That sucks. I what? can't believe it. No I way. I would throw this book, but it's my Wonder Woman book. Wonder so Woman. It. And she right. is Wonder Woman, by the way. Now, okay. for your quiz. Let's go. Get ready? Let's do this. About which of his movies did Robin Williams say, if you watch it backwards, it has a plot? Is that A, Flubber, B, <sighs> Death to Smoochie or C, Popeye. Oh my gosh. If you, you watch, watch it backwards, backwards it has, it has a, a plus. plus. Flubber. No, it's actually Popeye. Oh my gosh, we're both wrong. <laughs> Popeye is a movie that I know a lot of people out there love, but it's one that didn't really make much sense. No, that, uh, it was directed by Robert Altman. Yeah. And that was the last studio film that Robert Altman made before he just went off into Indie World and did some of his best work. But we're digressing. Maybe we'll just do a show on Robert <laughs> Altman, shall we? Oh, yes. I that would be a great that, profile. Okay. Really so love please that. rate us on iTunes so we can do it. <laughs> show on Robert Altman. Someone said on YouTube uh, last week that Scott Mance could sell ice to Eskimos. I totally agree with that. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you, Miss Malone. All right, before we get to our guest, let's sneak in one more of our fast five. Number three, it is Jeté. It's not your fault. Oh. oh. Love it. The film we were talking about just before Good Will Hunting. Good Will Hunting came out on December 5th, 1997, directed by Gus Van Sant. This movie was nominated for nine Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director. It won two. As we all know, Matt and Ben's screenplay was one of them. And the other was finally the Oscar win that eluded Robin Williams for all this time. Supporting actor Oscar for Good Will Hunting, Robin Williams, well, well, well deserved. Yeah, this movie is so touching. I rewatched it again the other day and it still has that power. Um, I love that Robin Williams uh, ad-libbed ad a lot of stuff in the movie, which I know it's not that hard to believe, but there's one scene where Sean, the therapist, is supposed to be telling Will that his wife used to turn off her alarm clock when she was asleep. He changed it up on that <laughs> to say that his wife used to fart in her sleep and uh, one time she woke the dog up. So that laugh that Matt Damon does, is that real. is real. But it's amazing too is that, again, the way Robin Williams was able to shift between comedy and drama often 
times in the same exact scene. Mm. But in this film, some really powerful scenes during the first meeting that Matt Damon and Robin Williams had together in this therapist's office. And Matt Damon's going around his office and he's criticizing a painting that Robin Williams did. Which was actually painted by Gus Van Sant. Now that's good <laughs> trivia. That is good <laughs> trivia. So he's criticizing Gus Van Sant's painting. And he goes off, he starts criticizing Robin Williams' wife, not knowing that she died two years earlier. Mm. And Robin Williams, he's just taking it in, taking it in, trying to be like a nice guy. This guy's got problems. And then he finally lunges at him, puts him in a chokehold and says, if you ever disrespect my wife again, I, I will, will end you. you. I love the scene that follows with Robin's character, Sean and Will in the park. Oh, look like they're alone. And what Sean is saying to Will is actually quite cutting, but he does it in such a reserved manner that it has a lot of power behind it and actually during that scene it looks like they're alone it looks like a very peaceful park apparently there was about 3,000 people who showed up just to see Robin Williams film wow. and the Boston police had to hold them back and they were not distracted at all watching that scene watching the dialogue the monologue that Robin Williams gives to Matt Damon in that scene mm. it's so profound it's so poignant that obviously takes on much deeper meaning now but but for years, that could have been for anyone at any time of their lives. Interesting to note that when Robin Williams won Best Supporting Actor at the Academy Awards, his competition was pretty fierce. He was up against Robert Forster for Jackie Brown, Greg Kinnear for As Good As It Gets, oh. Anthony Hopkins for Amistad, wow. and the actor who many saw as the front runner to win Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights. Oh, what a great movie so, as well. Yes. We'll definitely be talking about P.T. Anderson at some point. Schmoville also love Goodwill Hunting. I like this comment from Tyler Myers. Hi, Tyler. It says, not only does the movie have incredible and fantastic acting across the board, but it's also one of the most inspiring films I've ever seen. The scenes between Damon and Williams are pitch perfect, but the two that stand out for me are the park scene and near the end with that famous line, it's, it's not, not your, your fault. fault. Well, Adam Scullin had this to say about Goodwill Hunting. Too many scenes uh, that made me stop everything I was doing and stare blankly at the screen. My favorite speech from Robin Williams throughout the entire movie. You're not perfect sport and let me save you the suspense. The girl you met, she isn't perfect either. But the question is whether or not you're perfect for each other. That's what intimacy is all about. Now you can know everything in the world sport, but the only way you'll find out is if you give it a shot and we are going to give it a shot right now. We are very, very excited to have with us Robert Wool on the phone with us right now who co-starred with Robin Williams and what we feel is his best movie. We'll get to that. Good morning, Vietnam. Robert Wool, welcome to Profiles with Malone and Mance. Well, hello. How are you guys? Good. Oh, we're great. Thank you so much for being here and for joining us today. We're doing a very loving, respectful, and fun celebration of the work of Robin Williams. We just love Good Morning Vietnam so much. Mm, yeah, it's so great to talk to you, Robert. One thing that we're wondering is what what was it like when you first met Robin Williams? Did you know that there was something unique or special about him? Well, I first met Robin Williams back in the late 70s as a stand-up comic. I was working at the Improv in New yeah. York as a comic, and we had heard about this guy from San Francisco, Robin Williams. And this is before Mork and Mindy. And we had heard about him, and the word was out, so one day he came into the, the Improv, and the thing about him is that he could go on at two o'clock in the morning with five drunks there and still blow away the room. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. And it was performance art, it was you know, stand-up, it, you know, it was everything that, together. And he knew how to kill a room, he knew where the jokes were. So uh, that was the first time, so we knew each other then and we became friendly and we had known each other over the years. So when Good Morning Vietnam came about and Barry Levinson cast me in the picture, it was great because she was somebody he knew. Mm. Wow. Well, now, so it. tell us what you're making Good Morning Vietnam. This was a breakthrough role for Robin Williams in that it balanced comedy, but it was also a very dramatic role as well. And watching the film again recently, I have to say I was really blown away by his ability to shift between the two seamlessly. It's a, it's a seamless shift in tones, which is a testament to the film itself and Barry Levinson and the cast. But what was it like working with him when you saw him just sort of at the flick of a switch be able to balance that? Well, 
Robin had an acting background. Let's let's start with that. You know, he did go to Juilliard as an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As an actor. Uh, also, I don't think enough credit goes to Mitch Markowitz's screenplay. I really don't. Uh, because screenplays are structure, as they say, as uh, William Goldman used to write all the time. You know, it's not just dialogue. Screenplays are structure. And the structure of the screenplay was very, very good. I mean, when I read Good Morning Vietnam, it was a perfect vehicle for Robin because it, allowed, it had a good enough story and the structure was good. And, of course, when he was on the air, it allowed him to do what he does best. Yeah. So it, it, it was just a really good vehicle for him, and he had not had the great vehicle yet. He had done Popeye, he had done Garp, and a few other movies, but he hasn't had anything that really played into his talents. Yeah. And the way that did, the way Doubtfire later did also. So I was totally convinced that this movie was going to be a pretty good movie. And he had great people around him. Uh, Barry Levinson was the perfect director for this movie. And uh, and it was really a terrific shoot. No, that was besides the weather being very very hot in Thailand. It was a terrific shoot. It looked like it was really, really hot. Yeah, but everybody's it, it, sweating. It definitely lent a whole manner of realism to it. I love the screenplay for this movie, but we heard that at, in the initial stages, Adrian Cronauer was maybe a bit more serious. Was it changed for Robin? I'll tell you, I don't know what the original screenplay was. Yeah. Uh, I only got the script that you know was more closer to the shooter script, hmm. so I don't know that. But obviously, you're playing to your strengths. Of you know, you rewrite according to the strengths of the actor, according to the strengths of the you know, people you're around. You'd be foolish not to. If you've got John Wayne in the movie, you're going to write for John Wayne. If you've got Robin Williams, you want to give him an opportunity to write for Robin Williams. I mean, that's just such a smart. Um, so, you know, so I don't know the answer to that. But like I said, it's an underrated screenplay. Mm. It is a great screenplay. And one thing that wasn't scripted from what I heard and read was all of Adrian Cronauer's dialogue in the broadcast booth, that that was all ad-libbed by Robin Williams. And you were there for, for almost all of that. And I just want to just know, what was it like filming those scenes? And how did you, I mean, you really didn't even have to keep a straight face because the character is supposed to be reacting to it. But what was it like watching him do those scenes? scenes well I, I think the word improvise is not the correct word to use he had pages of material now he wrote his own monologues oh, and right. he worked on the monologues but it wasn't like he was doing this off the top of his head it just that's not correct he had pages of it was it wasn't in the screenplay now, he wrote those monologues himself. That was his writing contribution to it. So it wasn't like he was just doing this off the cuff. You know, like he just walked up on stage and this is coming out of his head. That's not what was happening. Right. He, he was prepared. Now, he did, he did play a little off of that. If somebody threw him a line or I would throw him a line or something else. And uh, uh, more in the scenes, actually, that were like the scene where... Uh, the late great Bruno Kirby is dressing everybody down. Mm. That there was lines in there that was improvised that were thrown that came together right then and there that were you know ext extemporaneous. But as, as for the monologues on the air, those were he had pages. Uh, he and David Steinberg, his manager, and they had worked on that beforehand. Wow. So that is that is not just improvised in a sense. They they were prepared. Wow. Wow. There you go. That's so well, interesting. Well, uh, also, uh, you know, the the just. Just, Which takes away nothing from his genius, by the way. Oh, yeah, of course. Out. Yeah, well, he wrote them all. It's so great. So, so what, yeah. what, what other sort of memories can you share with us just about that just sort of just paints a good depiction of his character while you were making this film back in the, back in the day? Every set, when you're making a movie, every set is basically the tone of the set is set by the leading actor or actress. If they're a pleasure to work with, if everybody's having fun and they enjoy being there, it all trickles down to the to the rest of the cast. No one's going to misbehave if the star is not misbehaving. I mean, if the star is insecure and you know causing a lot of problems and making it a tight ship and blowing up every time, that's uh, that's that trickles down to the rest of the cast and the crew. With Robert, everybody was laughing all the time and just enjoying it. And of course, also, it should be said, this was an all-male cast yes. for 95% of the movie. So it was a bunch of guys hanging out playing soldier, and you didn't have to go into the trenches. You didn't have to go get muddy and dirty and bloody. Mm. You were in a radio station. Right. For the most part. <laughs> and we used to hang out together a lot. Robin was very much hanging out. We'd go out with uh, 
you know, Bruno and myself, JT Walsh, Barry, of course, who had a lot of work. And of course, Barry's brilliance and uh, Mark Johnson's producing. It was, it was a good vehicle. It's it was a just great a great vehicle. vehicle and you knew it. And, um, at the time, he had not had to break out hit, but we all felt, you know, maybe this works. Mm. But you never know. Mm. When did you when did you realize that it was gonna it was the breakout hit that you that Robin and you and everyone really hoped it would be? Was it on opening day? Was it with the was it the reviews? Was it after it had been in theaters a couple of weeks? When did it hit you that you were doing? No, something when special? you saw it with the crowd, when you saw the effect on the crowd. Yeah, that's great. when I watched it the first time, which I don't even remember when I watched it for the first time with it. I think <laughs> I saw a late screening of it just before it opened up. Wow! And by the way, the, the ending of the movie was changed. Oh, How's really? that? The ending of the movie was changed in that. He's, when he gets to the, at the very end, when he's about to go back to the States, when they're about to fly him out of there, he meets the young boy again, oh. who is his friend, and it's also part of the economy, he finds out later. And he met him again, and they had this nice, touching scene together. But it was felt by a lot of people, I guess, during the screening process, that a lot of, you know, Vietnam veterans and people of the world said, why is he, why is he having this wonderfully warm reunion with a kid from the Viet Cong? Right, mm. right. And they just, so they just left that out. So, which I liked in the script, but I totally understood that there could be, uh, there could be some controversy about that. And the movie didn't really call for that. It wasn't that kind of movie. So it was left out and it just, it didn't affect it at all. In fact, I like the fact that he doesn't see the kid again. Yeah. And that, it lays like it does. Yeah, I think that last scene uh, when Forrest Whitaker's character plays the goodbye message uh, to all the troops, uh, it, it it brings a tear to my eye because even back then in 1987 when I first saw it, just the impact in, in the film that he had on the troops was just so touching. But, uh, you know, just even after Good Morning Vietnam, what, what were some of the other films that you saw of his that really just knocked your socks off? Like, what were some of your favorite Robin Williams movies? My, you know, I, I like to watch Robin doing stuff that, um, uh, usually smaller movies. One Hour Photo yes. is oh, yeah. an interesting dark movie that oh, I yeah. like. I also like a movie called Jacob the Liar that he oh, did. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, uh, Robin, and of course, I worked with him often in, in, in comic relief. He was very special. Oh, and Robin wow. was a little special guy. During the making of Good Morning Vietnam, you have to remember, this was during... Let's see, so what is that? That's the late 80s. And the book that everybody was reading on the set was Wired, oh. which was the Bob Woodward book about John, John Belushi, Belushi and his death. And you have to remember that his death at the Chateau Marmont, Robin was there a few hours earlier wow. with Belushi. And so when you were reading this book, you made sure... You didn't want Robin to see that you were reading this book. Mm. Just because you don't know how he's going to react, it's kind of, out of respect, you just don't do that. Why show, you know, why, you know, that can bring up a lot of bad memories. You don't know how he's going to react if you see somebody reading it. But sure enough, he's reading the book, somebody's reading the book, I don't remember who it was. And Robin asked him, uh, caught the eye, what are you reading there? And they, they sheepishly showed him why. And now, like I said, he could have blown up. He could have done a lot of things, and instead, being Robin, he just kind of smiled, nodded his head, and said, yeah, those were you know difficult times. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember that Robin, immediately after Belushi's death, got sober. Wow. So, you know, that is... You know, you're talking to about a very special guy. Yeah. Very Robin's special. very special. So special. Well, his movies are very special, and, and we're always going to cherish them. And, Robert, thank you so much for calling in. We really, really appreciate your time and your generosity and for sharing these stories with us. And you have a great day. Thanks so much. Thank you. Same to you. Same to you guys. Enjoy. Thanks, Thanks very so much. much. Wow. wow, that's really special that was to a hear great those interview. memories. I mean, I was so lucky that I got to uh, meet him really briefly, Robin Williams, in a junket situation where you only get a couple of minutes. I was lucky to get a double slot, as they call them, so twice the time with him. And what surprised me was just how gentle and kind he was. And that seems to be the theme throughout everyone who's worked with him, everyone who's met him, just what a special big heart he had. I had a, I had my Robin Williams uh, encounter at Sundance in 2009. He was there to support World's Greatest Dad 
bed and I was interviewing on the red the, the red carpet the white carpet on the snow, <laughs> the snow. and uh, it was freezing it was really really cold and and all the other cast members and producers and writers they they just did one question and and he was just he just kept standing there like I was asking him all these questions about the film about uh, about because it I thought it should have been like a big cult hit. Yeah. And then he starts going off about, remember the plane, the Captain Scully landed the plane in the Hudson River? That had happened the day before. So he was like talking about how great this guy was a hero. And he just totally went off topic from his film. And he was talking about this this unforgettable moment in our in our recent history when this guy saved all the people on the plane. Ugh. But uh, but yeah, we're grateful to Robert Wolf for that amazing interview. And that, yeah. uh, and that brings us to our, our segment where we are going to talk about one of the films that Robert Wall was talking about. A segment is called The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. We rate the, we talk about the overrated, the underrated, and the just plain bad. But today we're just going to talk about the underrated and underseen gems of Robin Williams. Yeah, just good today. It's good. all about good. <laughs> and one film which is totally underrated in my opinion, which is what Robert Wall just suggested, was a one-hour photo. Yep. Now, this is a creepy movie, but I love how... Things change during the film. You know, you, you go into it expecting Robin's character to be a villain and it changes throughout and you're not quite sure by the end. It's a very complex role for him. It was a very, very dark role. One of two dark roles that he had in 2002. What's interesting is just that uh, that job, one hour photo, oh, would not have existed <laughs> today thanks to digital cameras. Yeah. So movie is a little dated. The other film that came out in 2002 that uh, was just as good but for different reasons Insomnia. Oh, yeah, this is Christopher Nolan's very creepy film. I had insomnia after seeing this movie because it's really scary, um, just unsettling. Al Pacino is in it too. I love the scenes between Al Pacino and Robin Williams oh, on yeah. the ferry and everything in the fog. And just what was creepy about his character, Robin's character, was just that little smile he had and how he was one step ahead of everyone else. Yeah, especially Al Pacino. Al Pacino plays this corrupt cop who can't sleep because he's up north when the sun won't set. I got to tell you, just watching Al Pacino in this movie made me tired. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just like, he doesn't sleep. Oh, geez, you just want the poor guy to sleep, but he's a corrupt <laughs> cop. And Robin Williams is the is the killer that, that Pacino was after. And that scene on the ferry when when Pacino was talking to him and he's really letting his guard down and then Williams gets off on the dock and the ferry pulls away and as the ferry is pulling away Williams holds up a a, a tape recorder and the look on Al Pacino's face he just smiles at him well played well played well played indeed the other one we want to mention is a film you were just talking about world's greatest dad which i only saw recently it's a very black comedy but i like what the kind of points it makes about fame yeah it's a very it, movie it's very timely and i thought when i saw the movie at sundance i thought this was if not going to be if, if not a huge box office hit, I thought it had all the makings of a cult classic directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah. I mean, who knew? But it's such a, it's a confident, assured film. The tone is right on the money. Williams gives a fantastic performance and uh, one of many underseen and underrated performances that, yeah. that he's given. We asked Schmoville what they think were the most underlooked or underrated, overlooked or underrated films <laughs> of Robin Williams. And let's just pick like two or three to read. Uh, one I agree with in is What Dreams May Come. Dan Skip Allen says, it's a great Robin Williams movie and you never hear anybody talk about it. It's got really good special effects that you never see coming. Well, speaking of world's greatest dad, uh, Sam Cox from Schmoville had this to say, a very overlooked dark comedy with a fantastic script. We agree. Robin Williams is brilliant in it. To me, that's his last great performance. He was also phenomenal in Insomnia. Yeah. Another one that Schmoville points out is Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie. <laughs> yeah. Zach Barrow said that movie itself, not just Robin's performance, is so ridiculously underrated. It's a dark, hilarious take on the behind the scenes life of a children's TV star. That is one I admit I haven't seen, but I'm going to watch it now. Well, Awakenings, Liam Logrande. Awakenings came out in 1990. Williams and Robert De Niro have fantastic chemistry, and to see Williams go so dramatic is a delight. I also loved how Williams is based on a real doctor's story, which makes the film even more powerful. And Liam's Australian too, so good day, mate. Good day, mate. Thanks for your comments. Throw shrimp on the barbie. I bet people know. Don't do that comment. I'm just quoting. Wait, I'm quoting Dumb and Dumber. 
Not uh, trying to pull a fast one of my Australian <laughs> friend over here. Anyway, you can redeem yourself by telling me what your right stuff is. What is your favorite Robin Williams scene? Okay, you tweet us at Alicia Malone or at Movie Mance. Please write that down. She is on Twitter at Alicia Malone. <laughs> I'm at Movie Mance. You tell us your favorite movie, favorite scene, favorite underrated film. Just tell us why you love Robin Williams. Or you can go to our fan page on Facebook, mm -hmm. Profiles with Malone and Mance. Yeah, Mance, your favorite scene is from... My favorite scene is from The Fisher King. Yeah, that's right. And this was this movie that I had only seen once up until very, very recently. But this one scene that stuck out to me directed by Terry Gilliam, who's a very trippy, very far out, very strange. stylish, strange, strange. That's a but good I word. Love him. Yes, we love him because he takes chances. Not all of them work, but this was a great movie. Definitely one of his most commercial films, The Fisher King. And in the film, uh, Robin Williams has a, he is smitten with this mousy, meek woman played by Amanda Plummer. And every day at five o'clock, he knows to go to Grand Central Station during rush hour in New York City, where he knows he will see her. And he brings Jeff Bridges with him this one time. And in that scene, when he's telling Bridges all about her and he sees her and he's following her, all of a sudden, all the community, all the commuters break out into a waltz yeah. and they're all dancing and the lights come down. And it is a beautifully choreographed scene. It's so vivid. It's so beautiful. One of many, many great scenes. We got a bunch more to talk about, mm. but that's, that's my number one. I love that scene. Okay, let's go to our Fast Five number two, which is Jate. Carpe diem. Seize, Seize the, the day. day. Gather ye rose, what are you mean? Of course, that is from Dead Poets Society. What an inspirational movie. I wish I had a teacher. I think like we John all Keatings. did. Yeah. We all wish we had a teacher. This is Robin Williams' version of Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Came out on June 9th, 1989, directed by Peter Weir. Beautiful score by Maurice Jarre. Plays John Keating, mm -hmm. an English teacher at a posh school that inspires his students. It's actually one of two roles in the movies that we have been talking about, or will talk about, where he plays a character who inspires those around him, touches those around him, but is... He, he turns off his superiors. They are threatened by him. Yeah. And he is a nonconformist and it costs him his job. Well, originally it was supposed to be Liam Neeson playing John Keating, but that changed when Peter Weir came on board. And do you know the moment when Peter Weir decided Robin Williams would be perfect? When? It was on Sydney's Palm Beach. Oh, another Australia. Bring it back to Australia. I have to, you know. <laughs> so Robin Williams was on holiday, on vacation at the Palm Beach, and Peter Weir had met him before. He thought he saw Robin in the distance, so he yelled out, Robin. He turned around. They had coffee, and that was the first time that Peter Weir saw a different side to Robin Williams. You know, he knew the frenetic, great comedic energy side, but he saw a quieter, softer, very inspirational side. So he thought of that when he was casting Dead Poets Society and... Oh, he is brilliant in this film. I can relate to this movie because I went to a pretty strict uh, girls' school. Not quite as bad as this one, <laughs> but just the message of Carpe Diem, make your lives extraordinary, I find really inspiring. Yeah, I went to public school. We didn't have that <laughs> option, but I did get to wear T-shirts every day like I still do many, many years <laughs> later. It. What an amazing cast in this film. Ethan Hawke, Robert Sean Leonard, uh, Emmy nominee Josh Charles from mm -hmm. The Good Wife, and I defy anyone watching Dead Poet Society to get to the end of that film when all the students get up on their desk oh. and they say oh captain, captain my, my captain. captain and to not have a big fat lump in your throat this movie was powerful then it's powerful now it is Peter Weir loved to play music on set to get people in the mood and Josh Charles said that while they were doing that scene when everyone got up on the desk he was playing Ennio Morricone's music from The Mission oh which was also it's a great score yes great score amazing score score. Well, Rachel Cushing from Schmoville had this to say about Dead Poet Society. The movie is such a beautiful coming-of-age story and in a small way exemplifies Robin, uh, the Robin that became known to millions of fans. Mm -hmm. It is a story of how having a mentor at that age is absolutely crucial. I was lucky to have two different teachers in my life who were my Mr. Keatings. Robin is so heartfelt and inspirational in that role as he was in real life. Thank you, Rachel Cushing. All right, now it's 
time for our number one in our Fast Five, our favourite Robin Williams film, which is... Good Morning Vietnam! Oh, I love this movie. We were just talking about this with Robert Wool. That character is such a bright spark in this pretty harrowing war situation. It is. And this is a movie, again, directed by Barry Levinson. 1987 came out December 23rd. Seamless shift in tones. It is funny, but it's also serious. It mm-hmm. has a message. It's provocative. It's compelling and terrific performances. Great chemistry with this cast. Uh, this was the first Oscar nomination that Robin Williams had. Oh. And he won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy for this movie. And we were talking about our favorite scenes. Well, one that we love in this movie is the scene when it comes on the convoy oh. with all the other soldiers and Forrest Whitaker's character says hey everyone I've got Adrian Cronow right here he starts doing his shtick with the soldiers and you can see what an effect he had on the troops yeah because at that time up to that point he was he was a little down it was after the bomb went off at Jimmy Waz and he was getting getting a lot of flack from his superiors mm. so to actually you know he spent all that time in the radio studio not seeing the soldiers and finally he was doing his shtick right then and there for the soldiers and he realized the impact that he had. Uh, an, another scene from this film that I really love is is the scene uh, that Robert Wall touched on uh, with the Vietnamese, uh, the Viet Cong boy. Uh, and and it's it's when he confronts, Robin Williams confronts him. He's like, you didn't tell me you were the enemy. And he goes, no, you were the enemy. And it's a really, really deep moment. It's, it's just the culmination of the relationship in this film. And then the boy runs off and Robin Williams, Adrian Cronauer just stands there for a second and goes, this will not look good on a resume (laughs) (laughs) and it was so interesting to hear Robert Wall talk about how those scenes on the broadcast weren't actually all improvised he did write them beforehand because that's what people often say but those scenes were just such a great showcase for his comedic ability those impressions those pop culture references just poured out of him faster than you could keep up with and it is still so hilarious if you haven't seen Goodwill uh, Good Morning (laughs) Vietnam or Goodwill Hunting in a while I recommend to go and see it again. I saw it the other night and I loved it. You know, we we looked at each other, Alicia and I looked at each other when trying to put this list together. Yeah, a lot of people, we got a lot of reactions about Goodwill Hunting. Then yeah. we thought maybe that should be our number one. No. But then we decided, you know, this was a this was a man, this was a genius, the Oscar winner. He balanced comedy and drama in the same film. And I we just felt like no other movie really did it quite that way, just like Good Morning Vietnam. It was a breakthrough, it was mm. a big film for him. Still just the perfect role and the perfect Robin Williams movie. Well, that brings us to the end of, of our, our special profile, our special tribute to the great Robin Williams. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to this YouTube channel, Schmoes No Podcast, as well as rate and review and subscribe on iTunes and we will give you a virtual hug for that. Now, next week, Mats, we will be getting to Play It Should Take. Hey, yes, there we go, here. finally. I'm going to be doing some light reading on the great Stanley Kubrick so that we can talk about that. So make sure you like our Facebook page and tell us which of the Stanley Kubrick films are your favourite. But well, until next time, shall we do it, Matt? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. It's not easy to stand on the desk, here but we we'll go. get the idea. And that brings us to... Thank you, boys. Thank you, Robin Williams. Thank you, Robin Williams. Oh, Oh, Captain, my my captain. captain, this one's for you. Bye. From producers Christian Harloff, Mark Ellis, and the entire Schmoes No Network crew, we would like to thank you for listening to Profiles with Alicia Malone and Scott Matz. Special thanks to Kevin Undergaro and Maria Madunos, the author of Every Girl's Guide to Diet and Fitness, in stores now. Be sure to subscribe to Profiles on iTunes and rate and review the show. To get other Schmoes No Network episodes, movie news, and join the conversation, be sure to visit schmoesno.com. I'm the Pit Boss, and this has been a presentation of the Schmoes No Network.